Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversation series to you so we can learn and grow together. I have a bit of a story about my guest and the topic today of not just relationships, but how you and I relate to others, even ourselves, maybe especially ourselves, and why. So I've been fairly candid about my own ongoing work with counselors historically and even more so today. My current counselor really got deep with me into my relationship with myself and from that how I relate to others and recommended a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression. It's by a therapist named Terry Real. I got the book. I read it. It opened up a whole new level of understanding of myself. Well, Terry just recently put out a book called Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. My therapist got that book. I didn't even know about it. And right away, she said, Kevin, I want you to get this book. I did. It, my goodness, it just revealed aspects of how I behave unhealthily in relationships that are nothing less than revolutionary for my life as an individual, a spouse, a parent, and more. And, and bigger picture, Terry really talks about how culturally we live as you and me. Uh, and individuals when the bedrock of our being is relational and more us. So it's either going to wow you as it did me, or you're going to have to fully dismiss it. And I don't think you will. And I then went to, to find out about this guy, who he is, where he come from. Uh, and I found out this book, this new book uh, just coming out now was published by Goop Press, which is founded and owned by famed actress and a client of Terry's, Gwyneth Paltrow. Same thing with actor Bradley Cooper, who emphatically endorses Terry. But then there's people like famed psychotherapists Esther Perel and Lori Gottlieb, uh, and I find they're touting Terry's book as well, this new book. And interestingly, the forward is from one of from one of Terry's clients, patients. It's in that alone, this forward rocked my world. It's by singer, a guy you may have heard of, Bruce Springsteen. And it's not the celebrity component that impresses me. It's the humble and heartfelt words that these people shared about their life changes with Terry. Bruce Springsteen said, and this is right out of the book, out of the foreword, at age 32, I hit an emotional wall and realized I was lost in a deep, dark forest, largely of my own making, without a map. So began 40 years of trying to find my way through the shadowed trees, down to the river of a sustaining life. Terry Real has been a guide, and this book is a map through those trees. I just, I couldn't agree more. So I wanted to share my journey with Terry, with you. Uh, and this episode is part one of my discussion with him. You can find his book anywhere and find him at Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, real.com. Hey, if you find value from this self-helpful podcast in this episode today, subscribe and go leave a review and tell people about this episode. Then further, the best thing you can do, talk about it. Talk about what you hear with somebody else. You can always find me at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Terry Real and I talk about moving past you and me to us. Terry, you are uh, sitting in front of me today because my counselor prescribed oh. your books to me. Yeah, yeah, prescribed your books to me. So I first got New Rules of Marriage, um, mm -hmm. then even more adamantly, I think for my counselor, uh, to get, I don't want to talk about it. So I got that. And then as soon as she got the book, us, she recommended it to me and to my wife, both. So that's why you're here. If you want to invoice me for the session, totally, fair. <laughs> totally fair. No, I'm honored. You do great work. You have, you reach a lot of people and, uh, um, people are very attracted to the authenticity of your spirit. So it's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank you. And, and I appreciate that. And you know, you, in this new book, us, you hit my spirit a lot. Um, and in, in a good way, in a convicting way. And that's really where I want to start. There's, there's such, such big overarching issues that you hit in the book as well as very acute issues, especially for, for me. And I think for a lot of people, and that's again, why you're here. And I think the, the thing that that kind of bubbled to the surface as I'm just reading the review, digesting or, or the book, reading the book, marking the heck out of the book, um, and, and literally taking screenshots and sending it to, uh, to some folks. Ah. The one thing that really bubbled up was, well, here's my premise. If you're alive today, 
We do a lot of health and wellness on this show too. And if you're alive today, I mean, you have ingested environmental toxins of many sorts, pesticides, fertilizers, viruses, COVID, whatever. When we've all got in it, we cannot escape. You can't be in a bubble. You can't go to an island on planet earth and not be affected by this stuff. In that same way, is it fair to say that we are all we, we all have some aspect, some level, somewhere on the spectrum of relational trauma. Oh, yes. We're, we're imperfect beings and we're raised by imperfect beings. And um, whether it's active uh, trauma, uh, somebody doing something to you that is unloving, unnurturing, uncaring, or, or whether it's what we call passive trauma. Yeah. Uh, somebody not being there for you in essential ways uh, that you need. It can be very blatant. It can be, I talk about what I call small T uh, relational Thank trauma. You. Yeah. You, you know, Kevin, I, I write a lot about the brain uh, in the book about neurobiology. And w- one of the things, of course, I say is that we're not freestanding individuals. That's a myth. Uh, uh, one way of describing the book is it's a critique of the toxic culture of individualism. And I give the example, uh, neurobiologists talk about parents as neuroarchitects. I love that. Parents literally build the brain. And the example I give is a kid who falls off his tricycle and immediately looks at mom's face to see how bad the hurt is. That's how we neurobiologically co-regulate each other. We're not, we're not freestanding systems. Now, it could be as simple as you fall off your tricycle and you look at mom's face to see uh, how bad the hurt is. And mom is too busy talking to her girlfriend to notice that you're crying yeah. or mixing her second martini. That's trauma. And that's not the kind of trauma that's going to show up in a newspaper. It's not broken bone. Uh, it's neglect. It's emotional neglect. So you can be injured <clears throat> by any less than nurturant transaction between parent and caregiver and child uh, can be injurious. And, <clears throat> you know, you can talk about big incest or beatings or whatever, uh, but you can also talk about these micro injuries. Yeah. It's like wearing down a rock with water. Micro injuries that each one isn't that deep, but there are millions of them day in and day out and day in and day out. And so, no, no one has, and particularly uh, our culture is not a healthy culture relationally. Obviously by the stats. Yeah. I mean, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. Our culture is a narcissistic, uh, addictive. Uh, we give lip service to relationship, but we don't really treasure relationship. We don't teach our sons and daughters how to have relationships. Uh, and inside this dysfunctional culture, uh, many families are not relationally very sensitive to each other. And, and that's where I came to with this. So if we are I, I, that term, uh, that you said parents are neuroarchitects, man, that is daunting as a parent. And, but yes, yeah, so telling and obviously so relevant that I felt like we're, we can't not be brainwashed in our upbringing to some degree. And if we're going to get healthy, we've got to re brainwash. And so in that sense of, and that's where I wanted to draw us because trauma is not a word I have associated with for most of my life because I did not have any big T trauma, but because mm-hmm. my parents were human and the people I grew up with are human, there were little T traumas. And now I'm realizing that later, far later in life than I would wish, but I am. But to that, then, then we would say, or I feel like what you're showing casing in the book is because of that, because there are these little T traumas, you can't escape it. You can't not be touched by it. We all become in your terms, adaptive children to some degree. And we're yeah. either going to stay there for all of our lives, or we are going to mature. Let me ask you that one. But then also I would say, is it also relevant to say, okay, in the adaptive child aspect, and I'll take myself, take ownership that maybe there are some areas in life that I have come out of that. I have matured. I have grown up in some areas and yet there's some other areas where I am totally stuck. And so here we have schizophrenic Kevin who has Ah. come out. Well, is that fair? 
Oh yeah, that's all, that's very fair. We develop unevenly in different contexts, different relationships. You know, you're a good dad, but you're a lousy husband or, or, or you're a good coworker, but you yell at your wife. Um, let, 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 me, let me set the framework. Okay. Uh, there are three parts of the human psyche. Uh, there's what I call the wise adult part, prefrontal cortex. The part that doesn't finish growing in the brain until we're 26 years old. The last part of the brain that matured in us as a species. And uh, is the higher cortical functions. Thinking, reasoning, making deliberate choices. Here and now. Uh, centered. Okay. Uh, then there are two immature parts of the brain uh, that get triggered when we have trauma triggering. And I'll talk about what that means in a minute. Yeah. The, the wounded child part of us I write about tends to be very young when I work with it in therapy, first moments of birth up till four or five. This is the part of you that was just on the receiving end of the abuse or neglect. Many people have buried it. Uh, it, it's just, when, when it surfaces in therapy, it's just overwhelmed. It, it's just utterly reactive. You know, the wounded child part of you wants to crawl up on somebody's lap and just be held and cry for about a thousand years. So uh, practically pre-verbal. Between these two is the all-important part of us that I call the adaptive child part of us. And much of the book is about that. The adaptive child part of you is how you learn to cope, how you survive. How, how you kept yourself whole in the face of whatever the imperfect pockets of neglect or abuse were. And it's a kid's version of, of a grown-up. It's an immature version of a grown-up. It tends to be rigid, black and white, unforgiving, perfectionistic, certain, tight. You know, one, one of my patients call her adaptive child, I don't mean to offend anybody, but uh, a, a little fundamentalist that lived inside of her. It's like, that's right. That's yeah. wrong. That's good. Okay. Now, the hallmark of the adaptive child is that it's automatic, knee-jerk response. And those who are listening and watching, uh, 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 it, it, three things. I want you to out yourselves as you're listening. Okay. Fight. Screw me. Screw you flight and you can flee while standing six inches away from somebody that's called stonewalling and fix not a mature what can i do to make things better but an immature anxious compulsive oh my god you feel codependent you feel bad Uh, what can i do to make you feel better i'll twist myself into a pretzel just so you feel okay because i need it to feel okay fight flight or fix these are your knee-jerk adaptive child responses and of course, they're much more varied than that, but those are the basics. So shall we, Kevin? I'm a fighter. And I, you? I'm a flight and fix. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I, no fight. No fight. I'm, I'm gone. I stonewall. So I'm, I'm, like you said, six inches in front of your face, but I am, I am out of here. I'm a people pleaser. I'm going to take care of everything. I'm Superman. And to that, you say... I found it twice in the book. Once was in the foreword by Bruce Springsteen. The second was one of your stories about one of your clients where they ultimately said that their adaptive child has served them well in their work out on their own. Oh yeah. And and you even say the world really is our cultures wrapped around that and it'll applaud you for that. And yet it wrecks your most intimate relationships. And that's where I found myself and, and, and I resonated with those folks in your thing, that flight, you know, make everybody happy. Don't offend anybody, no conflict, and then fix things. That served me well in my professions, but not in my relationships. Uh, do you want to say a sentence about how it got in the way? How it got in the way of my relationships? Gosh, just no authenticity. So I have always thought of myself errantly as man, I'm not a private guy. I'm an open book. I mean, people think that I think from these, well, I think I am more authentic in, in actuality, open more and more each day. But in the past, my openness stopped at my feelings. 
I don't uh-huh. share my feelings. I don't share my real emotions. So relationally, either we're going to mesh or I'm gone. So yeah. I, um, I left a lot of relationships and I burnt a lot of people on relationships as I built my own walls instead of authentically dealing with in a healthy way, as you showcase so well in the book, I had no health in that. And that was my biggest, biggest stumbling block. Okay. That's great. Thank you for being so open. I really appreciate that. So that's the adaptive child. Yeah. And, and you know, we don't have to get into it, uh, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts uh, that if you had learned to put yourself behind a big thick wall uh, there was a damn good reason for you to do that when you were a kid growing up. It was, it protected you. It, it, I, and I will, I'll be open. And, you know, my parents will probably listen to the show here and, you know, incredible parents. They knew what they knew. They very much lifted me up. You talk about that in the book. They very much encouraged me and it probably went too far and I took it too far and I embraced their affirmation. I wanted to get their approval and every other adult's approval. And I saw how to do that. And I embraced it hook, line and sinker. Yeah. 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 So why do you think you uh, grew into being walled off and and a fleer conflict avoidant? I, yeah, I didn't, that was, we were, it was very, I I understood a performance oriented world, even from, even from this, I mean, I'm still in the personal help, you know, arena and it's about, Hey, how can we get better? And that's what I grew up in. And that is awesome. I took it from a, where am I now? Where do I want to go? that's all that matters and totally ignored the past, totally ignored the patterns. And it wasn't until later in life. And I saw these graphs up and down, up and down, up and down it relationally, financially, business wise, where I would go up, sabotage, up, sabotage. And it was just, you can't deny it. And yet I just was so unaware. Yeah. You have to deal with it. So, um, okay. So that's the adaptive child part of you that, that is that conflict avoiding people pleasing clear. Um, the wise adult part of you, uh, is the part of you I'm talking to right now that has insight, that can see the pattern, that can choose to do something different. And the, uh, the fly in the ointment is, is this one. Our autonomic nervous system scans our bodies four times a second. Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? If the answer comes back, yeah, I'm I'm reasonably safe. We stay seated in in this wise adult, calm part of ourselves. But if the answer is no, I'm in danger, boom, automatic, knee-jerk, visceral response, fight, flight, fix. And that is the adaptive child that comes and takes over. That part of us, it's literally subcortical. It's, It's a more primitive part of the brain that does not have the capacity to remember the whole, the relationship. Now it's about you versus me. It's not about intimacy, it's about survival. And one of us wins and one of us loses in an adversarial contest, or I duck the contest and run away, which is your- Okay. So, can, I, can I ask about that? So you brought up yeah. safety. That was literally my next big category of safety because as I'm, I feel like this is not, it just it literally came out of reading your book, Terry. I'm reading us and what came out of it as you're talking about this. And I thought, so here's what I did. I went online and searched what people most want. Okay. Just went Google what people most want. And what came up is generally happiness, peace, money, freedom, those kind of things, materially, you know, nice house, car, travel, spouse, yada, yada. Yet here I am reading your book and I'm thinking, I don't believe that. It seems like statistically, what do people most want? Safety. If it was an authentic answer, what do I most want out of my life? I want to be safe. And if I go back to a primitive aspect, it's to stay alive. I'm I'm here to protect myself and stay safe. That's the number one thing. And as I look at my own life and look at what's paramount now at 51 years old with my wife and my kids and whatever, I would say relationally and what overpowers everything is probably my desire in my adaptive child aspect to be safe. Well, yes, but that is the adaptive child. Okay. That's the first need. I mean, yes, of course. We're biological beings, and the first 
the first uh, directive, uh, as uh, William Shatner might say, that the prime directive is to stay alive. Uh, having said that, uh, I don't think that that's what everybody wants. Okay. There's more to life than existence. I think that what everybody wants is connection. Hmm. I think okay. that what everybody wants is to feel they belong, to love and be loved, to have a family, uh, if that's important to you, to have a purpose, a sense of community. Um, we are in an epidemic of loneliness in our society right now. Yeah. And one of the things that I go into is the research on relational connection. Infants from the first weeks of life seek connection. Our bodies work best when we're socially connected um, rich intimacy is as important for your physical health as not smoking a pack of cigarettes a day i mean it, it, we're designed to be connected and relational it's the only thing i think that will really make us happy but if you don't feel safe that trumps relationality first let me survive right and the problem is that uh, because of my wounding, because of my trauma, I may read a situation as unsafe when in fact I left that danger 20 years ago. That's called trauma triggering. And it happens to us all day long. You don't remember trauma. That's a misnomer. The, the, the combat bet who walks down Main Street yeah, hears yeah. It and spins around like he's not thinking I'm walking down Main Street remembering trauma. He's back in combat. And it's the same thing in your marriage. Uh, I grew up uh, with a violent, uh, angry father, also loving father, but a violent, angry father. My wife, Belinda, who's a fighter, walks in the door. We don't do this very much anymore, but walks in the door and criticizes me for leaving the dishes or whatever. My wounded child goes nuts. I'm three years old. I'm back with that towering six foot three, 240 pound man screaming at me. And my body is up and running. My adaptive child kicks in at about 10 seconds flat. Here, I'll take care of that. Boom. Hey, you. Don't talk to me like that. Who the hell do you think you are? And we're off to the races. My adaptive child has taken over and done what it always does if I let myself go on automatic. Now, the blessing is, and the essence of this book, Us, is you can take a breath or 10. I'm an enormous fan of physical breaks. Negotiate it with your partner up front so they know what's going on. Take a walk around the block. Splash some water on your face. My favorite is take that little boy that's so angry and triggered, put him on your lap and have a little chat with him. But do what you need to do to wake up that prefrontal cortex and get it back online. It's what I call remembering love. The person I'm speaking to is not my enemy. That's nuts. That's a primitive part of me talking. The person I'm speaking to is the person I love. The reason why I'm speaking is to make things better. Okay, take a breath. Now bring that part of you back into the marriage and you have a snowball chance in hell of making things better. And I'm good at the physical breaks. I just don't come back. Uh, so I've got to, well, that's a distance. I got to finish the loop, but let me ask you about that. Terry. Hey, wait, so, wait, I'm not going to let you off the hook. I'm going to give you a skill. <clears throat> All right. All right. I, I cover this in the book. It's called responsible distance taking. Okay. As opposed to provocative distance taking, which is what we all do. Provocative distance taking is I'm out of here. Done. Responsible distance taking has two parts. I'm leaving. Here's why. Here's the explanation. And here's when I'm coming back. Okay. And uh, it's now, can I ask you, does your partner chase you when you leave? Uh, has some, and, and I've done it to some degree to where there's some, some aspect of giving up too. But yeah, you generally would chase. Yeah, well, they're both, yeah. they're both bad moves. Take better care of her. Yeah. I'm leaving. Here's why. Here's when I'm coming back. And she won't either feel despair or go after you. Yeah. This is a good example 
of what you can do when you're in your wise adult, which is let me remember that we're a team. Look, I want to take some distance. Okay, go ahead. If I just take it, my partner's going to get anxious and come after me. That's not very competent distance taking. You want distance? Take care of your partner so she leaves you alone. So, okay, here's why I'm taking distance, honey. Here's when I'm coming back. It's not a rupture. It's a break. I'll be back. And then you damn well better come back when you say you're going to. I I hear you. And we're, we're, again, this is thanks for the counseling session. We'll keep going <laughs> you know, on this issue, Terry of connectedness. So, you know, that's what we most want. So if we go back though and say, okay, we all had some aspect on the spectrum of relational trauma growing up. And then the thing we want most is connection. So we often go forth and this is what you showcase in the book. And we come into that relationship and let's just go ahead into a romantic relationship, a committed relationship and we are looking to fill those voids yeah. from an unhealthy, dysfunctional standpoint. And that's where we come together and you talk in the book and I'm not quick enough to pull up the note, but about, you know, you're talking about the I versus the, the you and me. Um, and yet to be a healthy person to come together and be a you and me, there does have to be a healthy I. Yeah. I'm not saying there's no such thing as an individual. What I am saying Kevin, is there's no such thing as an individual out of context. You're an individual that belongs in a larger frame. This is what I call ecological wisdom. Look, the book is a critique of individualism. Individualism says it's a delusion. I stand apart from nature. That's what what the word means. I stand apart from nature. And it fuses with the older tradition of patriarchy, which I've written about for 40 years. Um, And and patriarchy says, not only do I stand apart from nature, but I dominate nature. I control nature. I'm in charge. You know, that masculine, I'm in charge. Dominion, the word you use dominion is very, you know, from my spirit, religious background, especially. That's a big one. Yeah. Well, the King James Version, Uh uh, people say it's a mistranslation, but God gives Adam dominion over all the things that walk and crawl and fly on the bad idea. Uh, The Greeks knew better. The Greeks called that hubris, uh, overweening pride. Today, we call it grandiosity. The overweening pride uh, was what brought down all the Greek uh, tragic heroes in all the Greek plays. They, They thought they were above nature and could control it. So... Uh, what what I want to replace that with is what I call ecological wisdom. You're not above nature controlling it, whether the nature you're trying to control is your spouse or your kids or your body, I've got to lose 10 pounds, or your mind, I've got to be less negative. Forget it. You're not in control of any of that. We have to trade in this dominant power and control model for the realistic humility of cooperation and collaboration, or we put ourselves at risk, we put our health at risk, we put our marriages at risk, our kids at risk, our society at risk, and the planet at risk. I mean, this is, I'm proud that the book starts with neurobiology, then the bulk of it is about personal relationships, but then I go on to talk about society, democracy, and and the threat of losing it, um, uh, the threat to the planet right now. We are going to learn. We're going to replace the we're above nature and dominated model with we're in nature and we're interdependent with it, or uh, the consequences are are. Let, let me give you an example. Yeah. Our relationships, our families, our marriages, our our biosphere, we don't stand outside of it. We're in it. We breathe it. So you can pollute your biosphere over here uh, by indulging some temper tantrum, but you'll breathe in that pollution in your partner's resentment or withdrawal or lack of sexuality. You cannot escape. You're an ecosystem. You're connected with each other. Thinking that you're independent of the system you're in is a delusion. It's grandiose. It's not, it, it ain't real. Now, once you wake up to the reality that you're in your relationships, not above everything. For example, 
The, the relational answer to the question who's right and who's wrong is who gives a damn. Yeah. What matters is how are you and I going to work this thing in a way that's going to work for both of us? You shift the terrain from uh, objective reality to two people trying to work it out. And then everything changes. The book is chock full of new skills that all come out of the shift in perspective. Can I give you an, a, a, a concrete example? Yes, please. I mean, as a couple therapist, I must get this at least once a week. And I'll do the gender stereotype, okay? She says, you're a reckless driver. He says, I'm an aggressive, competent driver, and you're overly sensitive. Aggressive driver, overly sensitive. What they get into is what I call an objectivity battle. Yeah. Uh, is it this or is it that? Okay, then I come in, or you read the book, and you start thinking relationally. Here's version two. She says, honey, whether you're a reckless driver or not, let's not argue about it. Here's what happens. When I'm in the passenger seat and you're driving and you're switching lanes and tailgating people and going 20 miles above the speed limit, all facts, what I do to myself is I get crazy. I'm so scared. I'm just in a panic the whole time I'm here and I'm kind of and hating your guts and it's just awful for me. Listen, sweetheart, I know you love me. As a favor to me, would you give up your style of driving and drive more conservatively so that I can be next to you and not go crazy? I know you don't want me to be feeling like that. Would you be willing to do that for me? And he says, and believe me, this is real. He looks at her and to his own amazement says, uh, sure. That's a fight that could have gone on for 40 years. Mm -hmm done in five minutes because you changed the map from you versus me, objective reality, are you, aren't you, to honey, we're in this together as a favor to me, would you? Yes, as a favor to you, I would. That's the magic that comes unleashed when we think of ourselves as a team. It, I mean, I hear you and yet, I not yet, and I, I hear you saying, in essence, it's saying, look, this is this, this is the language that you're speaking. And we would, and I would say that the culture is speaking right, wrong, justice, rights. I mean, we, we've never been at a higher place than that. I don't, I don't think at least not in my lifetime. And that's where we are. And to say that right or wrong doesn't matter. It's just coming together is so antithetical. And, and uh, I mean, we can't even wrap our brains around that. It. It's like you saying you need to speak German and we both look at each other, but we don't know German. We That's all right. Read the book. You'll learn. Oh, listen, okay, yeah, right. listen uh, you know, it, 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 here's another one while I'm twisting your brain. Uh, objective reality has no place in personal relationship. It's great for making vaccines, you know, man to the moon, whatever. But in personal, who's right, who's wrong? What's objectively true or not true? Which version of your memory is the right one? Who cares? Listen, um, what do we need to do to make this issue work for both of us? Yeah. I don't want you to be unhappy. I live with you. You know, this is ecological wisdom. I get these burly guys. You know, I, I really like working with men. I get these men and they say to me, Terry, why should, it's about fairness. I don't care about fairness either. Terry, why should I have to work so hard to please my, my partner? Uh, and, and to which I go, and I get a lot of money for this, to which I go, knock, knock. Hey, dummy, uh, you live with her. Okay. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't talk about altruism. I talk about enlightened self-interest, happy spouse, happy house. You're in the system. It's in your interest to make things good for both of you because you suffer the consequences if you don't. Wake up. Okay, so let me ask you about another root issue there then. I mean, we're also in a culture and I I feel myself in every show at this point talking about the culture because it feels like 
my perspective is we've never been more influenced by the culture than now because it's so proliferate. We can't escape from it. It's in our face and the flavor, the language of the culture uh, it's is so divisive. It's so divisive. It's so divisive right now. And it's so individualistic. And there's this cry for authenticity. And I feel like from a people's oh, yeah. longing, they want, can I just be liked for who I am? Yeah. yeah. I know. And I feel like, well, okay, you know, like if it, even my kids, you know, we love me unconditionally. Yes. I'm not going to like you unconditionally because you're being a jerk right now. And we don't want to hold those two. And you have, this is, what's up? Uh, you know, I'll get you out of this one too. Yep. I have an answer. Yeah. Okay. Benjamin Spock, the pediatrician taught us this. Yeah. You make a distinction between the person and the behavior. You feel bad about bad behavior. I want you to feel bad about bad behavior. Proportionately bad. You know, you don't feel uh, this bad about running over the kid's doll and only this bad about running over the kid. It should be proportionate. But I want you to feel bad about bad behavior. That's called remorse. But I don't want you to take yourself apart as a human being. You're, I can't tell you how many times I end a session. You're a decent man who's behaved indecently for the last 15 years. Mm. Will you let me rescue the decent guy you are underneath from this nonsense that you've been involved in? And I always go after that wise adult part of you i go after the decent guy underneath and uh they're all it's always there by the way and um that's who i want to talk to the the, the beauty of uh the book and my work is that shifting out of the adaptive child into the wise adult which gives us access to all these skills uh, can be called that in, you know, people say relationships take work, but they never tell you what it is. Here's the work. Nobody ever says this. It, the work of relationships is not even day by day. It's minute to yeah. minute. Yeah. In this minute right now, am I going to go with my knee jerk reactivity and do the same old crap I always do and get the same result? Or in this minute, am I going to take a breath? And reach for something more mature inside of me. Do something different, which may well, not always, but may well evoke a different response. Can I give, tell you a story? Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, I like to. This is the story I'm illustrating this with. Absolutely true story. So my specialty, as you know, is couples on the brink of divorce that no one else has been able to help. So I got a couple, on, on, this is it, last set, make it or break it session. Issue, he's a chronic liar. She's about to, he lies about everything. This is one of the first stories in the book. And he's one of these guys, Kevin. I, I say to this guy, you know, the sky is blue. He goes, well, it's aquamarine. You know, it's not going to give it to me, right? You know, whatever you say, he's not going to like join with you. All right. So I get what I call his relational stance, the thing his adaptive child does over and over again. And we teach, I teach my students to identify this in the first session. What, yours is flight. What's your relation, people pleasing flight? What's your relational stance? So it takes me five minutes to get this guy's stance is evasion. He's got a black belt in evasion. He's a chronic liar. I say this guy's blue. He says he won't give it. He knows how to evade. Okay. So then I ask him a question. And if you don't, if you're not trained to think relationally, it seems like, wow, that was brilliant. If when you think relationally, it's easy breezy. Show me the thumbprint and I'll tell you about the thumb. Yeah. If his adaption is to evade, who was he evading? Where did he learn it from? So I say to him this, who tried to control you growing up? Sure enough, his old man military guy how he sat how he ate what he what he wore his friends his everything i say to him how did you deal with this hyper controlling father and, and he looks at me and he smiled now that smiles and i like that that's the smile of resistance that's his life force resisting he looks at me he smiles and he goes i lied brilliant i teach my students Always be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child. You did exactly 
what you needed to do back then to stay whole and preserve yourself and survive. Good for you. Smart little boy. But I have a saying, adaptive then, maladaptive now. You're not that little boy. Your Your wife is not your towering father. You have other options. So we float all this. It's absolutely true. So they come back two weeks. We're saved. We're done. We're cured. It's over. Okay. There's a tale. Uh, tell me the tale. And over the weekend, his wife sent him to a grocery store to get 12 things. He comes back true to form with 11. She says to him, where's the pumpernickel? He says to me, every muscle and nerve in my body was screaming to say they were out of it. And in this moment, I took a breath. I thought of you, Terry. I screwed my courage to the sticking post, looked my wife in the eye and said, I forgot the pumpernickel. True story. And she burst into tears. And she said, I've been waiting for this moment for 25 years. That's healing. That's coming out of the adaptive child into the wise adult in the heat of the moment and doing something different, which heals you, the relationship, and interestingly, heals your old trauma. It heals all of it. And it means that you get to pass on a different legacy to your children. Yeah. Terry, you take that example right there because you cite this right at the beginning of the book that this is going to require for you to be moved from the adaptive child to the wise adult is going to require changing some fundamental parts of your identity, which again, really hits challenges that authenticity thing that we've got going in the culture right now. Really? I have to change my identity. I want to be who I am. Now you can look at this guy. I I know you look at this guy though and say, okay, was that a, was that simply a behavior change or is that by proxy the, 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 the roots that do come into a literal identity change. He now sees himself as not having to be that, that adaptive child that has to lie and so the behavior change, the identity change are somewhat all in one. One leads to the other. Yeah, it's character. Okay. It's transformation of your character. Uh, I, I say uh, I'm in the personality transplant business. I don't go with I am who I am. I call that the Popeye defense. You yeah. know, I am what I am. No, uh, I'm sorry. You can be authentic and learn a few new tricks. Uh, you, you can be authentic and break the chain. Uh, of the uh, violence or the neglect that you came from. You know, John Bradshaw used to have a saying, pass it back or pass it on. Think of your kids. Yeah, you can do the knee-jerk response that you were raised with or that you uh, adapted based on what you, how you were raised. And uh, you're going to inflict that response on the next generation. Or uh, you can reach for something that's grace. Uh, you can reach for something that's heroic. And you literally changed the course uh, of history for you and your, you know, they say it's the height of pretension to quote yourself, but I'm going to quote, I'm going to do it. Uh, this is my uh, most quoted uh, a couple of lines from my first book. I don't want to talk about it. May I? Yeah, please. Family pathology. Yeah. Rolls from generation to generation, taking everything down in its path like a fire in the woods until one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flame. That person brings peace to his ancestors and spares the children that follow. This is not just for you. And it's not even just for your relationship. It's what you're going to pass on to the next generation. You have the power to transform the legacy of what you grew up with and hand your kids a better legacy. That's our work. And that's significant. I have that quote pulled out and, uh, and placed in places where I can look at it. Terry, let me, when you're talking about a couple, 
I mean, we could say any relationship. I, I, I tend to think the marriage is such an acute crucible, but I've seen myself walk out the same things, of course, in every relationship. But mm. if we look at that, you're looking at two people in this sense, and you're talking about right or wrong like that. Go back to that right or wrong. doesn't matter. It's to figure out how can we deal with this thing together? How much in your perspective, are you looking at the couple's dynamics together? I don't know if I can say as opposed to or versus, but for lack of better terms versus I'm trying to change the identity of each of these people. They've got to be different people to come together. So one, they've got to work together. Well, regardless today, they can start working together better today. I also need to change their identities of who they are as individuals. It's kind of the, the, the you and me and the individual, I guess I'm asking that. Is there a, a percentage? I mean, what, what are we looking at here? Because I feel like a lot of the marriage counseling sometimes looks just at the marriage and I'm thinking it's just symptomatic of what these people are as individuals. If we don't change the individual, there's no hope, but that seems to be a struggle. Not, not for me and not for the school of therapy I've created, Relational Life Therapy. I have thousands of therapists around the world who we've trained. And it's not either or, it's both. You look at the choreography. Yeah. Uh, I teach my it's students. It's a good word, that. choreography. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and I teach the readers of the book to do this. The more, the more. Uh, the more um, uh, the more partner A pursues, the more partner B withdraws, the more partner B withdraws, the more partner A. So what's the vicious cycle? What's the mutually reinforcing feedback loop? But um, I but the site of change is the individuals. Uh, so in relational life therapy, there are three phases. The first phase I call waking up the client. This is where, the therapist lovingly and skillfully brings to your attention what your automatic adaptive child response is that you're bringing into the relationship over and over again. For you, it'd be people-pleasing flight. For me, it would be fight. So, uh, Kevin, let's take a look at this. Uh, you are not going to have a passionate, intimate relationship if you're shutting down and fleeing all the time. Mm -hmm. That's just a, so the first phase is looking at what you're doing that's blowing your own foot off over and over again, confronting that. I call it waking up the client. And in RLT, relational life therapy, uh, we confront the client so lovingly, so on their side, that they actually feel closer to us because of the confrontation hmm. uh, rather than more. In therapy school, you're taught not to do that. You're taught, most therapy doesn't do much. And part of it is you, you tiptoe around with kid gloves on these. We don't. We form the alliance by telling you what's difficult about what you're doing right out of the gate. But we do it lovingly. There's an art to it. The second phase is trauma work. And we're different from other uh, therapies. We do deep individual trauma work with your partner sitting next to you. Hmm. Uh, I would take you back to your childhood and figure out where those walls came from. You said it was performance-based. Somewhere along the line, little Kevin picked up an idea that to be lovable, he had to be good and maybe even perfect and perform well. And not, you know, ruffle any feathers and that. And, and. Uh, okay, so that little boy somewhere along the line lost the gift of unconditional love and began to act conditionally. I take you back to that little boy. And, you know, you didn't grow up in a terribly traumatic home. Most people do. And uh, that little boy, for example, uh, that boy in the story with his controlling father, uh, by the time we're done doing work with him, I mean, he's doubled over in his chair and he's crying. And you form a relationship with that little boy. Mm -hmm. Literally, I have you put that little boy on a chair and begin to talk to him, love him, take care of him, tell him that he doesn't have to be alone anymore, that you're here. That's phase two. And then phase three is education and skills. Let me teach you how to do it right because... You didn't learn it in your family and you didn't learn it in the culture. So for example, 
how many hours have you spent you flee so i don't know but if you how many hours has the, the deal been in your marriage uh we'll figure this out when we figure out which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong a fair, a oh, fair amount yeah yeah way too much yeah and how yeah. well how well did that work for the two of you terrible terrible because yeah. because we come back to objective reality which there is none and we're both pissing in the wind right so here's an alternative one skill all relationships are an endless dance of harmony disharmony and repair closeness disruption and return to closeness all the skills are about moving from disruption back into closeness but when we get disrupted we lose our wise adult move into you and me and the, the, who cares about the skills so the first skill is getting back into the part of you that wants to use them okay here's a skill to use repair is a one-way street nobody in our culture gets this if your partner is in a state of disrepair with you, you have one goal, if you have your head on straight, which is to help them come back into repair. Why? You live with them. Yeah. So uh, instead of which one of us is right, which one of us is wrong, these are your issues with me. Let me tell you my issues with you. Try this one. Honey, I love you. I'm sorry you feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. Is there anything I could say or do right now that would help you feel better? Try that one. Think it might work better? Yeah. Yeah. It's thinking relationally. I mean, you, you say that I actually pulled it out. This is one of the snapshots of the book that I took uh, with, my, with my little camera. And you said it was one of the stories you're telling and that we as couples generally lack a mechanism of correction right and that that's what that's what rang true to me and what you're talking about here we do not we understand that objective reality battle as opposed to a mechanism of correction how do we come together and collaborate connect correct together and it just is so it's a different different language it's a well it's a different skill set. Different skill set. Uh, we, we don't have very, uh, we have very primitive relational skills in our culture. There are better ways to, here's another one. How many of us in our culture have mastered the art of standing up for yourself and cherishing your partner in the same breath? Who does that? No, you're talking boundaries, which is one of the more difficult things of my existence. That? Well, I'm talking more than boundaries. Okay. The boundaries okay. is the standing up for yourself. But how about the relational skill of letting your partner feel loved while you're standing up for yourself? Give Who me, does that? Give me an example. Easy. Uh, at the micro level. It's the difference between saying, hey, Kevin, don't talk to me like that, which is fair enough, and saying, hey, Kevin, I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. Can you tone it down? And be less angry so I can listen to what the hell you're saying. Mm. Two ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. It's the difference between saying, sex, sex, I need more sex in this marriage. And saying, honey, we both deserve a great sex life. We're not having it. What do we need to do to kickstart this thing? Or I'll give you a, a, a great example. Young heterosexual couple, typical deal. He wants sex all the time. She wants sex none of the time. They're killing each other. Like any therapist, I get them off of the position level to what it means. What does sex mean to you? And unfortunately, like a lot of men, he filtered almost all of his emotional needs through sex. Sex meant she liked him. She was connected. He was desirable. Their relationship was all. It meant everything. So we float this. Two weeks later, they come back. We've got the sex thing solved. They had other problems, but okay, tell me. Three days after their session with me, he wants sex. And rather than her usual, which is run to the other side of the room, leave me alone. She walks over to him, true story, puts his arm around, gives him a big fat kiss. Looks him in the eye and says, the first thing I want you to know, sweetheart, is you are hot. 
you are, I think you are so attractive. You're such a sexy, handsome man. You're a good man. I love being in your arms. I love, oh, by the way, I don't want to have sex tonight. I love how you are with me. I feel wonderful with you. And I just love you to pieces. And he says, it's a true story. He says to his amazement, uh, okay. And what might've been an all night fight they scoot over in two minutes because she was so the, the, there was so much yes wrapped in that no that the medicine went down but we don't know how to do that it's either be connected or be powerful but you can't be both at the same time that's brand new territory for each of us in this culture Terry I mean you're talking about again coming and disavowing the right or wrong and getting that objective reality out, which is again, such a different tool set, skill set language and leading with, it feels like this is the feeling or the request that I have. And that one speaks right off the bat to me of, of I've got to have the ability for some humility one and two, some awareness of my emotions, which to be candid, one of the other books recommended by my counselor highly was Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart, because she says, I have no vernacular or awareness or understanding of emotions of my own or, or others. And so if we're going to start this journey and start the direction towards what you're talking about, I've got to even know what my own feelings are and connect in those and have some connection. So we're humility, emotions. I mean, these are things that I'm going to the average guy, I, I think, is is very, very immature well, and equipped with. It's socialized out of us. This is patriarchy. Yeah, uh, men. The essence of traditional masculinity, which is still very much with us today, uh, is invulnerability. The more invulnerable you are, the more manly you are. So emotions are vulnerable. So you learn. I mean, research is clear. Three, four, five is when the boom drops on boys and they stop expressing emotion. Uh, to to a, 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 a measurable degree. There's a decrease. In, they still feel it, but they're already too smart to express it. They've already read the code. So now we have to undo it. I say leading men, women, and non-binary folks into true intimacy is synonymous with leading them out of the culture of patriarchy and individualism. It's really new territory for all of us as a people. But um, let me give you the exercise that I do with men at least once a week. Please. Uh, for, for our listener. Have you got a, a piece of paper there? Yep. I'm typing. I've been typing the whole time, man. This is my therapy okay, session. Okay. We're going. I, I, want you, I want you to write a column. One word and under it. And, okay. Yep. Uh, one word and then under that the next and under that the next. Okay. But the heading is primary emotions. Got it. Uh, there are seven of them. Ready? Joy pain, which could be loneliness, helplessness, uh, sadness, fear, joy, pain, fear, anger, shame, guilt, love. Got it? Yep. Kevin? Yeah. Look at that list. Tell me what you're feeling right now. Right now? Right this minute. As you sit in that chair, what are you feeling? goodness i would say more joy than anything it's, great yeah where's that joy in your body what's the physical sensation physical sensation of that joy um my first temptation is to say up here in my head but then i would al almost say in my torso okay great what's the sensation what's the physical sensation a lightness uh-huh if that lightness in your torso could speak what would it say what, what would its message be uh, I feel probably inspired and this is a hopeful conversation because it's hopeful of, of growth and freedom and things of that nature. And so it's, uh, uplifting. Those beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Look at the list. Uh -huh. Are you feeling anything else? Even if it's slight. Oh, if it's slight, I would say that there's some shame and guilt 
in considering these things in the realities of my relationships. Beautiful. Thank you for being so open. Uh, Where is the shame in your body? I'm just going to go off the cuff. The first thing I think and feeling I have is right here at my heart. Yeah. What's the sensation? Tightness. If that tightness could speak, what would it be saying? Uh, Probably that I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. So fear. Yeah. Okay. And um, can you say, anyway, this is the exercise. Yeah. And, And by the time we're done, my friend, you will have laid out so many emotions on the table that, and it works every single time with every man I've ever worked with. And then I get to say the punchline. Here's the punchline. Kevin, you're a passionate man. You're full of feelings. You just laid out six of them for Christ's sake. You never, uh, your feelings never left you. You left them. Your feelings have been percolating along the whole time. All you need is a little structure and some words to tune the satellite dish in. And they're all there waiting for you. Uh, Let's do a little work. I'll do a feelings journal once a day, blah, blah, blah. And let's start to get used to uh, the language of emotion and how to identify them, you will look like a transformed uh, person uh, probably in about two or three weeks. I mean, Terry, your, your books, again, I've, you know, this is the third one of yours that I've had. And I don't, I don't really want to elevate it above the others, but for whatever reason, relationally where I'm at and some of the stories and the, you know, the story and how you set up the point, it just is masterful. Um, oh, honestly, so it, it, it was, and it did masterful in a way of me reading it going, I, you, you spoke to me, you reached me, you, you obviously, you know, this is what you do and you understand that. And there's that aspect of, you know, I'm not so abnormal. This is happening to other people as well. Very, you know, in the world, successful people as well. And yet here we are so often having our successes, seeking our successes, seeking our joy and peace and fulfillment and all those things. And yet have this weight of these unhealthy relationships that we have taken as you showcase from childhood on. And we're, we're, but you, you give me just as, as Brene Brown is helping us with, with vernacular, vernacular for emotions, maybe you're giving me the vernacular for the for the problems, for the hangups, where's the root? Where did this come from? Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this way? That, and you're saying that that makes sense coming from X, Y, Z. And this is what to do about it. This is how to walk it out. You know, I, I, I will, I will want ask one more question because I've, you hear a lot within counseling and marriage counseling and whatnot. When you look at a cup with a relationship, mm-hmm. whatever the makeup is at a relationship and say it's going to have for it to have the best hope possible. Do you need two equally willing partners who are willing to, to embrace this journey together for it to really have the best hope? Well, the best hope you, you loaded it. With well, okay. Okay. But to work. Yeah. Uh, no, I, um, as a therapist, I teach my students this. Uh, quite often one of the two partners is very skeptical and I I specialize in being able to rope people in who have one and a half feet out the door and what I say is this um, role play Kevin not the real Kevin but role play on on marital death's door you tell me you want out did you ever love your partner yes yes Here's if I could give your partner a magic pill and she were to transform and become the person you've always wanted her to be, would you want her? And before you answer, there are three answers. One is yes, I'd want her, in which case we're in business. One is no, no matter what she does, I'm done. I don't want her, in which case it's time to break up. And the third is I don't know. I can't imagine how I feel. Okay, I would say. As long as it's I don't know, because you loved her, because of your history, maybe because you have kids, what I want you to give me is three months, four months, 
of intense work. During that time, your partner must completely transform. I'm talking about jaw-dropping dramatic change within three months. That's one. And two, if she does, your heart has to open back up again. And I would say, Mrs. Kevin, you could get through one and not get through two. That happens. Your, your husband can look at you and say, this just makes it clear I got to go. But give me three months and let me see what can happen. And what I'm after uh, is a, a completely different personality within three months. And we deliver it in relational life therapy. We deliver that yeah. because we move you beyond that adaptive child that you've run your whole relationship in. Yeah. Well, of course, I would call everybody to do as I'm doing and get the book. You may not get your own personal session with Terry as I have uh, the pleasure <laughs> of right now, but it, it, it really, I mean, I'm, you know, I often shamelessly promote stuff, but this is one to work through and I am going to work through it with my wife, uh, Terry and, and, and go through that. So man, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, thank you for the gift of what you do and thank you for being here with me today. Oh, beautiful. And if I may, I'm sure you're going to do this on the show, but I'd love to invite everybody listening to my website. Uh, just go to terryreal.com. Uh, we have workshops for the general public. Uh, we have our first ever us workshop, uh, which teaches people these skills. Uh, we're going to do an online course in the fall on relational parenting. Uh, we're going to do a workshop on coming back from infidelity. So there are a lot of resources that are available. We also have trained relational life therapists all over the, all over the world, really, yeah. uh, that are on the website. So visit the website and, and uh, get on our list so we can be in touch with us. And we'll, we'll shamelessly promote that as well, Terry. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you, Kevin. Okay, friends, again, Terry Reel's book, this new one, is called Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship. I've read it. I've marked it up. I've dog-eared it. I'm reading it again. I've gone back to different sections so many times, obviously. I just couldn't recommend it more. You can find the book anywhere, everywhere at this point, and you can connect with him at terryreel.com. Thanks again for choosing to listen to this self-helpful podcast and this episode today would be great if you leave a review about this episode, what you heard, what you liked, what you didn't like uh, is great as well. And uh, check in with, with Terry at his website or on social media would be great. Best thing you can do is talk about something you heard today that interested you, that frustrated you, uh, that intrigued you, that wowed you. Talk about it with somebody else. I sincerely hope we and I have helped you help yourself. 